Hello and welcome to a new exclusive edition of the TNC podcast. And I am super, super pumped and privileged to get stuck into this yellow and green conversation today. 58 appearances for our great club, eight glorious goals, one against the scum, of course, two Premier League promotions, one championship title, one North City Premier League survival. Yes, that counts as an accolade right now. And a man that likes to lift trophies in his pants, arguably also, and I bet you get this a lot, the most handsome midfielder we've had at our football club. It's, of course, Andrew Sermon. How are you doing, mate? (laughs) Not sure about that last one, but yeah, I'll, um, I'll take it. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Are you well? Are you all good? Yeah, all good, thanks. Yeah, and no, all good. Just um, yeah, enjoying retirement or retirement from football, not retirement from everything, but retirement from football and yeah, just enjoying time with the kids and and uh, yeah, just I think I think obviously I haven't played for seventeen years. It's um, it's been nice just to sit back and sort of see what I'm going to do next, really, and, and just enjoy watching football rather than the, the stress of playing it, which I loved, but, you know, comes with its own, <laughs> its own stress. What is it like being, like, in the normal world now? Like, because, as you say, you've spent the majority of your life in the, the footballer bubble, if you will, and now you're not in that bubble. Like, what's what's the transition been like between sort of, like, you know, finishing football and then into retirement now? Like, because we've had this on the cards for a while, this podcast, and, like, it seems like you're 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 more busy than you were in your career. <laughs> yeah, I think you've probably took the words out of my mouth. It's, it's funny because you sort of think you're going to have loads of time on your hands, but actually there's so much stuff going on all the time with the family. And um, and I think I've, I'm sort of trying to get into other things like property and stuff like that. So I'm trying to keep myself busy, but by keeping yourself busy. And also when I think people know you're you're available now, you're not sort of always training or you, you can't, come out because obviously he's, he's playing tomorrow or whatever you end up with a lot of time on your hands so yeah so I, I think I just I've, I've ended up filling my time and then and then suddenly things pop up and um so yeah so it's, it's been it's been on the cards for a little while but um but I finally got there and yeah I'm just really enjoying some time like I say with my family and um and just seeing what the next step step brings you get plonkers like me knock on your door saying oh, <laughs> the podcast and I really yeah. look forward to it bit i really really do and let's let's kick off with with what i i think is a bit of a wild story actually andrew which is that i'd I'd watched or listened to something somewhere i think it was actually um thanks thanks to the bournemouth boys actually on this and you signed for norwich but just tell me how that happened it was did paul lambert tap you up on your honeymoon am i right in saying yeah, it was it was a sort of strange one really because I went um, I was at Wolves for a year uh, and I was looking to to get out um, obviously leave um, so my agent said look Norwich are in, I'm sort of interested but um, you know go away on your honeymoon I just got married go on your honeymoon you know enjoy that we'll see what happens and then um, I was sat down having lunch by the pool with my mum and dad because they came um, as well uh, my wife and obviously my little boy boy Alfie um, yeah. and we sat there and I, I looked over my dad's shoulder and I said. I think that's Paul Lambert over there. And he was sat behind us on his own. And I was thinking, that's a bit strange. Um, so I phoned my agent and I said, I think I think Paul Lambert's here. Because obviously I knew the interest. And he said, he's probably come over to, to sort of try and speak to you. So, so yeah, so I, I, I sort of left it. And then um, he, my agent phoned Paul Lambert and said, look, you know, Andrew's there as well. And he said, oh, okay, we'll, we'll arrange a meeting. But it was funny because... Obviously, no, then we knew he was there and we kept bumping into him and um, and he was sort of, you know, his budgie smugglers around a pool and, and things like that. You know, it was just, 
I had to leave my wife it. away. Yeah, I think, yeah, exactly. Yeah, with his, uh, his iron brew. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, it, um, but it was, uh, yeah, so it was it was strange, really. And, and then it was almost like the deal was done there because I, I, I don't know if he was there because he wanted to sort of sign me or whether it was just coincidence. But, yeah, he, he was literally sat at the table next to me on his own. So I assumed it was it was that for that reason. And, and yeah, from that point onwards, we had a few chats and, and he sort of said, look, you know, do you want to sign? And I said, yeah. He said, well, I want you to come back now. I said, I can't. I'm on my honeymoon. So I think he was almost like, look, if you're going to go somewhere else, please tell me because obviously I don't want you sort of staying there and then you get back and we're ready to sign you and then you go somewhere else. So I said, no, look, obviously yeah. we've agreed it. So, so yeah, and then and that, that was that was history. But yeah, it was a it was a bit of a surreal moment really because I've, I've never I've never obviously had that and I mean I don't know whether it was coincidence or not, but the fact he was sat behind me after I've just spoken it to wasn't. obviously to Norwich, yeah, my agent. So it was um yeah, it was a bit of a strange one. It wasn't a coincidence, was it? He blatantly followed you there, and it's fun, it's funny you should say to actually. We'll get into Paul Lambert now because um I, I've I've recently I've always thought like Lambert has this aura about him, right? And I hate to admit it now, obviously, given that he went to Ipswich, but he just had that almost that, dare I say, Ferguson aura about him, that angry Scottish man thing. Where I was like, there was something about the fact that you knew, you probably knew that Lambert was sitting there before you even saw him with your own eyes. I was recently getting a flight back from Scotland and Glasgow and, and Paul Lambert's at the front of the queue. And I'm thinking, you're still as scary as you were at Norwich, even though you've gone yeah. to Ipswich now. Um, so, so just, just talk about like, your your i guess your your first time meeting paul like what was the conversation into and like what was your takeaway from it like did did you instantly get on with him or did he have that sort of scary aura that that, that i've mentioned there I, i'd probably say he had that aura of, of a manager you know when you knew he was the manager you know it wasn't one of those where he was like you know i think i'd, I'd a, i think one time he bumped into me i was i think i was on a it was almost like a dance floor but it was an outdoor thing with again with my wife and it was it was early evening and he, he came in and he I had a beer in my hand and he sort of said he was like, Oh, that's a week's wages and I didn't even stop it. Right. And I was like and I was like, Oh sorry, and I was thinking, you know, it, it's stuff like that. But but you, you it was a bit of banter, but you're sort of thinking he, he's probably serious, you know. But yeah, I yeah. think he had the or I think I think because of what he achieved in his career as well, um yeah. you know, pro- people like him, I'd probably liken him to sort of people like Steven Gerrard. Yeah. Lampard, you know, all the, the players probably from my generation that I played against that are now sort of retiring and going into management. He had that instant respect. So you'd look at him and think, well, he's won the Champions League yeah. and he's played for massive clubs, Celtic, obviously, um, Borussia uh, Dortmund. So I think you had that that respect straight away. And I think that carried on actually um, probably when I joined because when I when actually, I mean, he used to come and sit in the dressing room and have a bit of banter with the lads, but it was like there was such a fine line you had to be really oh, careful yeah. he said yeah, you know yeah. because um you know there was like you weren't allowed to use your phones in the dressing room ever you weren't allowed to text or anything like that and you know someone would have a little sneaky look at their phone in their locker and he'd come up behind you and he'd be like right you know whatever how much the fine was <laughs> you know you'd be like you'd be on lookout you have someone at the door waiting for him to come down the corridor just in case they're on look you know you get one of the young lads to do it but yeah, I think it's um he's got that aura about him, and I think um yeah. and that's why he was so successful at, at Norwich, really, because I think I think when you look at when you look at players, sometimes players need the manager more than the manager needs the players. You know, he needs you, but you're almost like, well, uh, there's no egos in the dressing room. You're sort of thinking, well, we, we you know we yeah. need to do well for him because we want to do well, and um and I think that was that mutual respect, and um 
you know, I think as well as, as, well as we did for him, um, he did well for us. So I think, you know, uh, yeah, there was just that massive respect between him and the players. I think. We'll have to do this in a bit of a wacky order today because I want to I want to dive in, into Paul Lambert more as well and like the because because of course we need to you know give give Cully a, a shout and, and Gary Carzer as well who who are a big part of his team and uh, is there a time that springs to mind where you know the the proverbial trolley was kicked over at half time were there any particular you know spats with with Lambert either with yourself or one of the other lads where you've gone. Oof, blimey! Like I'm in, I'm in trouble here. Or, or did he manage to keep his cool? Because I see him as like really kicking off. Yeah, I've, 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 had, I've been on the end of one as well. I mean, I, I, we played, um, we played MK Dons in the in the cup. Um, we lost four 0 home. I think we were in the Premier League at that time. Uh, and I think the the week leading up to it, I, I'd done a couple of little bits of sort of banter in the in the dressing room, which he, I think he'd seen and. I don't know if he appreciated it or not, but he, um, yeah, it just, it just sort of, there was a couple of bits leading up to it. And then, uh, we, I think in the game, I, I gave a back pass and it got cut out and they scored and we lost four nil and they absolutely battered us. It was a bit embarrassing really, but, and he came in afterwards and he absolutely went mental at me. Um, and just sort of, you know, talked to me about being a joker and all that sort of thing. And, you know, it basically just dug me out massively and that was probably the only time he's probably hammered me personally and it was probably a bit of a wake-up call for me just obviously yeah. try and rein it a little bit and take things a little bit more seriously but but I, I you know I, I was in the dressing room a few times where he's he's come for individual players and he he wasn't scared to but what I, what I liked about him is that he had a, a great balance you know he would yeah. motivate people and he would get the best out of players but he wouldn't be scared to dig anyone out it doesn't matter who you were he was coming for you, and I think um, again you have to have that respect because as soon as as soon as you lose the dressing room, which you never did, that's when problems start. But it was always like right, that's you know there was a discipline involved um, as much as it was fun and it was great, and then we were obviously you know getting promoted and stuff like that. It was it was um there was a discipline involved as well. So that's really that's a really fascinating story, and um, yeah, I can imagine that. Uh, that you certainly learnt your lesson from 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 that 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 massive heated argument with him. Yeah. Just talk a bit about your your experience with with Ian Culverhouse and, and Gary Cars as well, Andrew, because there's always been this sort of like quiet sort of rumbling away debate amongst the Yellow Army, and particularly obviously having left Norwich City for past and you're obviously going on to Aston Villa, and and obviously unfortunately the the scum down the road as well, um, and it's not quite clicked for him after Norwich, and a lot of people say well that's because ian culverhouse and gary carza were were you know the 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 men behind the scene that sort of were almost the masterminds of this and lambert was almost just the motivator do you, do you agree with that do you disagree with that uh i probably disagree with that i think they were a great team altogether. uh i think they all brought different things i think i've worked with teams of managers and and coaches you know since then and before that where you know, you needed a balance of, of people that were willing to do different things. You know, a coach might be a little bit more personal with the players, with the manager had to be above the players and, you know, stuff like that. So it was a great balance. Um, but I think, I mean, I don't know the reasons why it didn't work out when he went to Villa. Uh, you know, you, you're looking at what I talked about earlier about, um, you know, egos and things like that. And that's no disrespect to obviously the, the Villa players where he went to manage, but when you step up to a club like like Villa, I wouldn't say step up, oh, that's not disrespectful to Norwich either, but you've got players on a lot more money. Yeah. Um, 
you got bigger names probably potentially when than were at Norwich when we when I was there. Um, you know, you're you're going into a different environment where it's almost like suddenly the players you have to earn their respect again, and it's it can be quite mm-hmm. difficult. But I don't know if that's the reason, but I, it was a sort of a different step, and I don't know why why it went wrong. Um, you know, I, th- I think sometimes, I mean, the teams I've been involved in that have done the best um, or, you know, that have been promoted, obviously Bournemouth and Norwich, um, and have had some some success is usually the teams that I would probably say, you just get this mix of players mm-hmm. um, that bounce off the manager, there's this certain type of manager very well, and you've just got this whole magic mix of people involved and then the backroom staff and the whole club is just is just mixed and it's a great mix you on the other end you can get a really toxic environment so yeah. i was lucky being a part of that and i think that's i'm sure you know paul lambert was lucky to have that as a as a group we were lucky yeah. to have him and obviously in culver house and casa as a as a management team and it, it just seemed to click where sometimes yeah. you go to another club you've got the management team but the players don't quite click or you don't quite have yeah. that chemistry um which again potentially might have been the reason, but I, I can't really comment too much when he moved because obviously I don't really know what went on behind the scenes. So, no, that's that's fair enough. And, and you started to mention it there, Andrew, about you know the 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 magic and the fact that just sort of the stars aligned, and and it, and it really really did. Obviously, you joined when we, when we'd been promoted from league, when we're back in the championship, and that I really want to just sort of ask you for your thoughts and feelings, really, in terms of like when you first met that group of players, like what was it like, and and who who were the catalysts in that changing room? Like, who were the players that stand out in your mind now when you go, yeah, you were the culture setter, you were the culture setter, you were the sort of, you were the guy that sort of did that? Because it's all very well and good, of course, and that's the cliche, right, isn't it? Like, you know, just everyone clicked. But were there sort of any particular players that stood out for you when you first joined the club back in 2010? Yeah, I think um, obviously Grant Hull was a massive one. He was the captain. Um a massive character, very, very strong character. Um, mm. You know, stuck by his word, set an example. Uh, came from the lower league, so wasn't one of those people that was sort of looking down on anyone. He was like, I've been there, I've, I've done it. You know, don't yeah. come in this dressing room and start, you know, pushing your ego around here or throwing money shouts around, you know, anything like that. You had Russell Martin, uh, vice captain, again, very, very strong character. Um, and I think you just had, I mean, those two probably, and then obviously when I joined, there was other players that added to the mix, you know, Andrew Crofts, David Fox. I mean, all the players really that, I mean, I'd probably say most of the players that, I'd probably say there was probably six players that, that were really sort of strong characters and knew each other, were close. They'd come up from League One, they were tight knit, yeah. and they dragged everyone along with them. So when I joined, it was like, right, this is this is how we do it. This is what we're doing. I'm trying to join a group that have already had success in League One. So yeah. I'd probably say those two individuals mainly were the catalyst for for keeping our standards um, mm. and things like that. Really. So um, as much as everyone contributed throughout the season, they they set it off. I think. Yeah. No, I can imagine that, and we we can't waste any more time without going into. Um, what is my probably my favourite game of all time? It's it's up there with with some of the, the the best victories. But I think this game beats it, and that is the twenty first of April, twenty eleven. Does that ring any bells? Can you guess which game it is? Ipswich. Yes, correct, yeah. absolutely. 
five one in their own backyard and of course you scored the opener and after that the floodgates opened just talk us through the uh, talk the yellow army through what that day was like from start to finish in terms of you know being on the bus with the boys and like the the, the pretty much prep and i really just want to hear what what was it like going, as a player going to that because I think there's almost this perception that fans think that players don't get local derbies. Like, what was that game like to be a part of, Andrew? Oh, it's incredible. I mean, there's there's always special games in your career um, that you always remember, whether it be derbies or not. But we were well aware going into, especially away from home, I think sometimes it's like, you're going into the like the Lions' day. You're almost going somewhere where you're thinking we want to turn these over. Like, and the the, the hardcore fans that travelling away, you know, it's all they, they've maximised the capacity for the way end. Yeah. Um. And I think on top of that, the importance of the game because obviously, you know, we're 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 trying to get promoted, and it's it's a massive yeah. game, and then we're near it. So you're like, well, you know, we want to like shove it down their throats type type attitude, and and that's that's sort of where you're at you know you're, you're you're building up to the game and and the importance is is constantly it's not overdone because obviously you don't want to do you don't want to put too much into it the sort of background of it because otherwise then players get too intense and then you end up yeah. red cards and um but i think it was just we i think at that time we were playing so well and we were such a good balanced side and we were going into every game thinking we're going to smash these or we're going to win this and it, it yeah. just that mentality that winning mentality which again paul lambert brought into the club it was just a point where you were like we're going to win this and you know i i love playing at portman road i don't like to say because obviously norwich norwich city fans but I, I love playing at that stadium because it's a big pitch i played there since i played there before i just felt you had that good feeling when you go in there you think i, I like playing there so it's, you know like i say you can play football on this pitch and it's easy win. as well it's easy as well yeah, isn't it That's yeah cool. well yeah <laughs> But when you're playing, you know, when when you're, you're sort of playing in a, in a good environment where you feel comfortable as a player, um, yeah, I just you know, and, and the importance and the, the adrenaline gets you through, and uh, it was it was amazing feeling to score in that in that game, and obviously to win by that margin as well, and and celebrate with the fans, and like I say, we we were so close to the end of the season, and it was such a big game um, to win so emphatically. The confidence going through the squad was just incredible. What well, what were the conversations like? You know, perhaps you know just before kickoff and at half time after match like you say they're like you know and i remember because i was in the stands and coincidentally next to simon jackson's parents right and just it was just so special but like what what were the boys like beforehand and like did that energy from the fans sort of seep into the squad because like that really like that word iconic gets banded around a lot mainly by people like me that get carried away too much but it truly was iconic like did the yeah. did you what you'd achieve that day yeah especially when it's like you know it's under the lights as well you know like that's extra yeah. special and it's you just get that extra buzz you know and you could feel it when you run out the tunnel it's difficult because as a player and as a squad and all the players you know like i said i mentioned obviously gary uh grant holt and um and russ martin you know they're trying to keep a lid on everyone they're, they're trying to say look lads just remember well, it's a game just, you've got to just try and write like wind it in so everyone's reminding each other to sort of say, right, so, you know, just keep your cool sort of thing. But when you run out, even for the warm-up, you know, you can see the Norwich fans are loud as anything because it's an extra special game. Um, what we could be on the brink of, you know, the atmosphere. And, and yeah, just to be a part of that, I mean, 
he, he, like, I mean, I, I was delighted I scored, but when the, like the fifth goal went in and you know just the last goal went in, it's just you sort of looking at it thinking like oh, this is amazing, you know, like celebrating with the fans and you just feel such a part of something so special. It was, it was incredible, incredible. Yeah, it really was. It literally, as I say, it truly was absolutely iconic. And and speaking speaking of iconic as well, we we have to talk about another game which will always stay in my memory forever. Of course, you you, you played your part that day too. Is um is being promoted to the Premier League at, at Pompey, and um, Fox to Jackson that absolutely ridiculous through ball over the top that seemed like it lasted half an hour before Jackson stuck it in the back of the net, and. Um, you know, that must have been particularly nice for you, obviously, given that your 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 background, of course, at Southampton to beat Portsmouth. What what was it like on what was that day like? And what was it like being on the coach on the on the way back? Or did you not even get on the coach on the way back? Yeah, that was um again, that was another another day, whole day that would that would stay in my memory. Cause I think um we were at uh so we were at the hotel and Cardiff were playing Borough, I think it was. And Borough yeah. beat Cardiff. So that obviously gave us the chance. But I just remember in the corridor, like people, lads were running up and down the corridor, like, yeah, because they watched the game on obviously the telly, whatever. Yeah. Um, and it was like, if, you know, if, if they get beat, we're, we're going up before we win tonight. So it was just a buzz around the whole hotel, getting in the bus. Again, you're trying to like keep a lid on it because you're like, don't get too carried away. We've got to win this game first. But yeah. the buzz beforehand, going into that game, just thinking like, if we win this game, we're going up. Um, and then, and then going to the stadium, and like you say, it was it was. I mean, it didn't really come into it for me that it was Portsmouth only because it was like my in my head. I was like, I'm playing Norwich, and I just want to go up, and it doesn't matter who we're playing, you know. Yeah. Um, but coming in, the whole end was just full of like you know Norwich fans. They take it up the whole end, and it's it's a tense match because obviously it's a little bit nervy. I don't think it was an amazing spectacle no. as a as a as a match, but yeah, to to get that goal and. Um, uh, just and I think there was a bit of a scramble at the end as well. A couple of scrambles in our box where we were just smashing it clear. I think I've been taken off by then. Um, but I was just sort of sat on a bench, just watching it, thinking, "Come on, lads, you got to hold on to this." And and then yeah, after the game, it was just um, yeah, it was just carnage. Really, we oh, went gosh. yeah, we yeah, we went a dress room and we went out afterwards in Portsmouth and in our tracksuits and that. And yeah, it was just absolutely mental. Um, and then obviously, you know, you might talk about it afterwards, but yeah, just um. What followed then as well, because we still had one game left, was just yeah, next couple of weeks <laughs> it was pretty uh, pretty uh, mental. Just probably permanently pissed. And um, speaking, <laughs> yeah. of it, let, let's let's do a deep dive into uh, promotion parties and celebrations now. And um, talk us through this image, please, Mister Sermon. <laughs> well, to be honest, there's not much I've done really. I mean, I'm trying to lift it. I can't. The probably this probably summed up. I'd probably say this summed up the lads that season you know just proper you know just banter all season it was a great great bunch of lads everyone got on well there was no sort of like but and that and that sort of summed it up really that that clip that is a great photo um but yeah i mean i never lived i've been sent that photo so many times but um but yeah it was just yeah it's, it's unbelievable like i say that the celebrations were just incredible Okay, speak of okay, keep keep in, in this. I'm I'm not stopping on these celebrations. Um did anyone get involved in the celebrations that weren't the players? Did did we have an appearance from perhaps old, old Delia Smith, perhaps um Michael Wynne Jones? Did did we even have a David David McNally appearance during these promotion <laughs> celebrations? Uh not really. I mean you had I mean 
I mean, it now. Dealer, yeah, yeah. Delia Smith and Michael and Jones actually incredible people. You know, for the club, they were so so nice, so kind to like families. You know, my wife. You know, um, it just just really really took everyone under their wings, and and they're just lovely lovely people. So um, they came obviously they came down and congratulated everyone, and and just were really part of it as they deserve to be because obviously the, the, the generosity that they've given to the club and, and what, how much money they've ploughed in the time and the, the care and the effort and everything like that. So, and the passion. So yeah, they, they got involved. They didn't get involved too much in the, uh, in the celebrations out in town or anything like that. But um, I think they were mainly involved obviously when we had the, um, the bus tour and, and things like that, we ended up at um, in the square and, and that, but yeah, they didn't get too involved to be honest, but yeah, it was um just, I mean, it was just a great thing to be part of and, and they deserve to be part of it because of what they what they've done for the club and, and, you know, obviously before I joined and afterwards as well. Another good time for the club was 2011-12, of course, because we actually managed to survive in the Premier League, which, as I said at the start of this show, is, is now uh, an accolade given given um, our, our last couple of seasons in the Premier League. So just take us that time, Andrew, and talk us through that because... You know, I, I know, I know it was that last game that sort of propped us up a little bit. I think we overtook three or four teams, didn't we? In the end, I think it was that win to get away against Man City. I think it was was it Holty's last game? I think it was, and he even scored that game. But yeah. just talk us through, like, what do you think were the reasons for us surviving? And like, obviously, having now spent so much time at Bournemouth, like, I guess, like, what are the what are the differences in like how how is it just a case of you know. Uh, we could do that at the time, but you can't do that anymore. And can Bournemouth do it because they've got more money than Norwich? Like, what? Like, why do you think Norwich haven't been able to do it since? Like, why did we achieve it that year? All of those questions, I want answers. Yeah, to. yeah. Um, I think, I think, having done it at Bournemouth as well, like you said, I think both times we just didn't change our philosophy, didn't change our mentality. Um, you're the unknown package. You know, when you go into a, a a new league no one really knows what to expect you know they underestimate you naturally um and that's a strength so i think we just we still played the diamond and we still went out and we still attacked you know we had to be a little bit more box clever because obviously you're playing against top teams and we, we ended up on a, a couple of hidings but mm-hmm. i think as soon as you go into a new league especially when you step up into the premier league you start trying to think right okay what, you know, what do we need to change because we, we, we can't do this and we can't do that anymore you're in real danger because then suddenly you don't know you lose your identity you don't know who you are so we just went out and said well this has got success let's go for it um and and yeah i mean i think we held our own against most teams you're, you're gonna you're gonna come up against some good teams like cities liverpools united and, and you know teams like that especially back then but um we just stuck to our guns and i think i guess there is a you know it's difficult to compare now Norwich to then Norwich because it's different personnel. It's you know there's a different management in place. The clubs run differently. There's a lot of different factors that yeah you probably look at and go you know it's completely it's like chalk and cheese. But um, it's just trying to find that philosophy that works that that mixture that works and then you've got to have the right players to do it. I mean it's incredible. I, I played against Norwich. Well, so I didn't play against Norwich. I was on the um, yeah. I, me- I remember playing against um, Norwich when I was at Bournemouth. I think I was on the bench, and we lost one nil. And I think that's the season that Norwich got relegated. And I-, I remember having a meeting before, and we were sort of you know the manager was like, look, you know these are a decent team, very good team on the ball. Like they pass, they move, they they're very like 
you know, their movement is very good. Yeah. And we, we lost 1-0. I think Steve Cook got sent off uh, for handballing it. But it was just, you look at that and you think, not, I would probably say watching that game, Norwich were one of the better teams that we played. But it was just the difference is, is that if you don't take your chances or you let too many goals in, and I know it sounds sort of completely simple as that, yeah, you're just not going to stay up. But it doesn't matter how good you are between the boxes. And I think yeah. that's that's the thing. You have to be ruthless in the Premier League. And and I think that's probably, you know, I remember when I think I'd, I think I'd gone alone to Bournemouth when I left Norwich and uh, Chris Hewitt was manager. I think, was it before? I can't remember. But anyway, that that season, we just didn't score any goals. And we just conceded the odd goal. We were tight, but we conceded. And, and the problem was, is that if you haven't got the balance in the Premier League, you can easily get punished. You can be the best footballing team in the league. But if you don't pick up wins, you don't pick up results. And that's the difference. Like, And I think that's probably the only difference I can see. Um, you know, we were free-flowing when I was at Norwich in the Premier League. But it's it's trying to find the balance of sort of saying, right, we, we need to basically score more goals than them. And that's the mentality we had at Norwich. And it worked for us. Now, it's almost like, well... If you don't get the results, it doesn't matter how good you are, you're going down. In the championship, yeah. you can get away with it a little bit. You know, you might yeah. finish mid-table, you might win more games than you lose, but you finish mid-table, you get away with it. You might get away with mistakes, you don't get away with them in the Premier League. That, that's probably the difference. Um, but again, yeah. I, I can't, I can't comment too much because I don't, I haven't, what, I haven't been there every week to watch Norwich. All I can comment on is when I've, when we've played against them with Bournemouth, yeah, wise, I'd probably say they're one of the better teams that we've played against, that we did play against. Um, but it's results orientated in the Premier League, and you know that's that's what it comes down to, doesn't it? If you get more, if you get enough points to stay up, you're up. So you mentioned a name there, Andrew, that seamless link there, which was Mister Hewton, and you know, and I know that you can't necessarily fairly comment on what's going on at Norwich right now, but there's almost a link between, I, be, I believe, what the the shift between Lambert and Hewton and Farker and Smith. In, and I really want to ask you about that. Like, how did the how? I know, I know, obviously that that was when you left the club. But like, what, in your opinion, what was the what was it like being involved in the shift in like dynamic? Because as you say, like, Chris Hewton came in, shored it up. We were super defensive. Holty mentions to me loads of times that it was just an absolute snore fest. But like, what what's your opinion on it? Like, what was it like behind the scenes? Was that was it tough to handle as a player? Uh, yeah, it was when you're not playing. It is definitely because I wasn't really playing. I, I, to be honest, I did, I did have a knee injury at the time as well, so that that kept me out for a few months. But I, I think you've nailed it, really. I think we just went from no fear, high press, all out attack, might might get beat five nil, but might win five nil. We went from that to sort of, you know, again, no disrespect to Chris Hutton because I, I really like Chris Hutton. I, I you know I had a lot of time for him, but. Obviously, we got relegated, um, and I think I probably I probably said the style was completely different. It was it was mm. defensive. It was keep it tight. It was trying to nick a goal, and the, and like I said, I alluded to earlier, if you don't nick that goal, then it's very difficult when you go behind against teams to go right. I mean, we're going to come out now. You, you can't. It's very difficult to shift that mentality and say right, we're going to go from two banks of four to suddenly right, we're all at attack. You can't. You almost can't do both. Um, you can do it if you score first and you go, right, we've got everyone behind the ball now. We're going to attack and now we're going to drop in. To go from defensive shape to then go, right, we're going to attack and we're going to try and score goals. It's very difficult because players have got their jobs. And they're like, well, I've been told to sort of stay in here. 
I can't go on my own because then if he doesn't realise what he's doing, then we're sort of disjointed. And I think that's the problem. You see teams, I mean, in the Premier League have done it where they've just been so, so hard to play against, been so defensive, win games 1-0 and they end up in Europe. But they've got, they might have a maverick, they might have a player that just wins in yeah. games or they, you know, they win 1-0 a lot of games. Um, but we didn't really, we didn't really have that. It went from like, like all that attack, exciting football to a little bit, like, okay, just, just, you know, be cautious, be defensive, keep staying in the game. And then we end up losing 1-0, 2-0 and, or we get B5 now and we think, well, what's the point? Because we're sort of sitting back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and like I say, again, it's no disrespect because you know, it was just a, just a different change in, in, in mentality, yeah. I guess. Um, two different managers have different ideas of how to play. Yeah. Um, and like and you say, was... I mean, you speak to Holt, I'm, I'm sure he'll, he'll, you know, he'll tell you so many times about how frustrated he was, but um, yeah, it was one of those things where you just couldn't, you know, um, it was almost like chalk and cheese in a way yeah and, and and leaking into those you know perhaps frustrating times i want to i want to sort of probe you on your on your exit from the club now Andrew. that's okay which is that so obviously initially it was it was a loan move to bournemouth in 2013 which was then made permanent september 2014 like what was your exit like from Norwich city overall and like do you have any regrets from your time at, at Norwich city at all uh no i mean i don't have regrets i think I was unlucky with injuries. I think even when we got promoted, um, I had two serious knee, knee injuries, which I managed to get back from. Um, and then the other one was quite innocuous again when Chris Hewton was there, just uh, sort of tore my, my ligament off my bone, basically. And it like, they didn't realise what had happened. And I had injections and I kept trying to come back. And I remember playing against Luton in the cup and uh, we lost 1-0 at home and they were non-league at the time. And it was like, and I, I remember playing on the left. I think it was my first game back from injury, and it. But I didn't realize at the time it ripped off the bone, so I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't kick properly with my left foot, and I was trying to play. And I remember after that game, I came in, I spoke to the manager, and I said, "Look, I, I can't, I can't kick the ball. Like I can't even if you if you ask me to cross it, it is so painful." So then I went to see a surgeon in London, who then said he scanned it, and he said, you, you, "Your ligaments ripped off the bone. It's been like that for three months, or whatever. You should have had an operation ages ago." So. It was things like that where it was stop start. I'd come back into training, it'd be too painful. So I'd come out and have injections in it, and it was just a nightmare. So it was a stop and start season for me. And then, um, obviously, Chris Hutton was was a manager at the time. Uh, I think he got sacked, uh, and Neil Adams set him. Um, and I really like Neil Adams, you know, he'd obviously come from the sort of under 21, under 23 setup. Um, and I think he just sort of was like, Look, I'm gonna take charge for a little while. and uh, and I got on fine with him, but I think it was that point where I knew I was leaving. You know, I felt that it was time probably for me to leave. Um, he asked me to. I, I think I played in one more game before I signed for Bournemouth alone. I think I played in a in a cup game yeah. at Kerry Road, and um, it was one of those where I was sort of people telling me don't play in it because you get injured, you can't move. And I was like, yeah, but I feel like I owe it to Neil Adams because obviously, yeah. you know, I don't want to let him down. So I ended up playing in it, and yeah, and and I think that was the. I think I think the last game was probably Norwich v Bournemouth actually, and I I, I didn't I wasn't involved in it. I watched the game and then I signed for Bournemouth almost like the next day or whatever. So, um, but yeah, it was just I think it was the right time for me. I think I I was right. trying to come back from injury and um and moving back down south as well, obviously where from where I was from. I knew Eddie Howe from from when I played there and on loan when I was about sort of nineteen anyway. So, so yeah, it was the right time for me, and I think probably the right time for the club, I guess. Um. Uh, you know, there was it was a difficult one as well because um, 
the chief exec at the time uh sort of being a little bit difficult about whether he was going to give a new contract and it was yes and then no and yes and no and it was a lot of messing around so i think in the end i just sort of thought look you know i'm not going to sort of beg for a contract i think if i'm, I'm going to go i need to go so um and that was it um but i think obviously David Manali, i think i don't know when he left a couple of years after that so yeah fascinating insights and thanks for sharing andrew i appreciate that i, I think um i think it's one of those ones where i and perhaps i'll throw this to you as a question like hypothetically if you hadn't been plagued by injuries at norwich do you feel that you would have been a mainstay and therefore do you feel that you would have stayed at the football club longer or do you think you were always going to just move back down south because that, that was where you were home yeah, uh, not really. The plan wasn't really ever to sort of say, oh, I need to get back down south as soon as possible, really. We really loved living in Norwich. We absolutely loved it. I mean, I speak to my wife. My wife would probably move back there now. You know, we, we loved living there. But um, I just, I, I, it's hard to say because I think, when, especially with the high level you go, the turnaround of players, you know, every transfer window, there's players, they're spending millions of pounds. You know, there's new players coming in, there's new competition. They want to freshen it up. Fans want to see new players. The old, you know, the, the players have been there a while don't aren't as fashionable necessarily because obviously you want new players coming in and oh, you know, we've signed this player, he needs to play and uh, on yeah. around the game long enough. And I know how it works, and I've, I had the same at Bournemouth. It, it, the players come in all the time and they want your place, and so I don't know. I mean, hypothetically, I could still be there. You know, you look at someone like Alex, Alex Tetti, you know, he joined when I was there, and he's, he yeah. was there a mainstay for, for a long time, so um, but I think it just in football i think sometimes things happen for a reason it happened you know um i had a lot of injuries it was probably the right time for me to leave and if i look back on hindsight it was a good thing for me to leave because obviously what i've achieved since i left so it probably was a good good decision in the end do you feel perhaps you were underappreciated at norwich city uh, I, I don't really know i mean I don't think so. I think I think when Paul Lambert was there, I, I don't think I was. I felt he really valued me and I felt valued at the club. Um, probably when he left, after he left, I probably wouldn't say so in terms of I didn't play as much. You know, I probably wasn't in the manager's plans as much. So I probably you could probably say from that point of view, maybe from the fans, I, I don't really know. I, I never was big on social media. I didn't really know what was being said behind the scenes. Probably the reason I'd stayed off social media, to be honest, all this time. So um maybe i don't know um everyone's got their opinion uh and i'm sure there's positive and negative ones but you know that's that's the the nature of football really you know people's got their opinions and and like i say if they are like you or they don't they see the good things in it or they don't and it's it's just one of those things really that's what you've got to live with i've taken you uh to 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 a couple of uh of darker subjects i'm going to lift you up to a lighter one now because of course on the tnc podcast when we have a special guest we like to get their best norwich city 11 from their time at the club and i must admit andrew i'm looking at this and i'm thinking this team would give our current team a hell of a go so talk us through <laughs> this just just lean over for me so we can see oh, I mean, it's cool, cool. yeah I mean, okay. you, you needed to perhaps even slim up even more for, for the slot that you can <laughs> So, so talk, talk me through this from from back to front. There's a couple of ones which I want to home in on. Um, but but first of all, kick, kick off with, with with John Ruddy. What why has he made your number one spot? Well, I think he was the mainstay keeper when I was there. Um, I think he joined at the same time. Uh, again, we had a, we had a bit of, a few of these players joined at the same time. Um, and yeah, he was the mainstay. Uh, you know, again, he was a massive part of the team. He was a you know nice lo lovely guy. Um, and got, I got on really well with him and 
and obviously he went on to then be selected for England and and things like that. So yeah, I, I think he was the major choice. I, like, like I say, he was the main keeper when I was there. So um, I'd have to, I definitely have to pick him. Russ Martin, the Norfolk Cafu. I'm not so sure he'd be happy that you put him right back, mind. <laughs> No, he, to be honest, when he was the whole time I was there, he wanted to play centre half. Um, oh, right. yeah, yeah. But I, I would say, yeah, Russ. I mean, again, like I said before, great leader, great lad, looked after the lads. Um, uh, and I, I just, yeah, I just think he was a great character. And obviously, I went on to play for for MK Dons when he was manager, uh, and he was no different. Obviously, he was a man. We had the manager sort of player relationship still slightly, but. Um, but yeah, he he was great, and it, he brought all the lads together. He kept the standards high. He had such high standards himself. He's a great professional, so um, and a great lad. So I, I'd have to I have to put him in. But obviously, again, he was a mainstay. He was he was right back the whole season when we got promoted, and obviously when we when we were in the Premier League as well. Ads uh, at left back. I mean, that's a pretty obvious one, really. I mean, you'll never beat the Drury was the charm. But 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 the two that I'm I'm really interested in homing in on here is. Is and we've never had either of these two mentioned. Zach Whitbread and, and Elliot Ward. <laughs> why, why have they made your team? Uh, you you know, know what? It's funny. I couldn't know exactly. Well, I couldn't. I couldn't quite. You know, it's one of those where I was trying to look back and I was like, "Who played centre half?" Well, I knew Ward who played centre half because he joined at the same time as me, and I know Zach as well. So, but I, I put them in. in I, I put them in because again, they were involved in the promotion. Both yeah. great lads again. You know, all contributed to the to the way that we played the way the, the dresser room. Um, you know, they're, they're just they're just good lads. Um, and 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 to be fair, I think Wardy had a lot of experience. He came from West Ham. He played for a few clubs. He done well. Um, and obviously Zach, again, he was just a, he was just a great lad. He was just you know, um, and and no, they, again, he wasn't another player that didn't have an ego. He just got on with it. And mm-hmm. and I, I like the fact he's left footed as well. Because I think left foot centre half, yeah. I think they look, you know, um, look the part. So yeah, I, I had to put them two in because I think that's a good back four. And I think that was probably the main. I, th- I think I'm right in saying that was the main back four when we got promoted. Yeah, I believe so too. If my memory serves me well, I've not drunk any beer yet today. Um, <laughs> David Fox, like I just think that, and we, and I even we had the pleasure of speaking to David Fox on a, as an audio exclusive on this podcast and. It was fascinating hearing from him. I just, I just think he was one of those players where we didn't realise what we had when we had it. And I actually feel like you're in that bucket too, Andrew. To be fair, but like, just talk me through David Fox. Like, what was it like playing playing alongside him in midfield? Yeah, he was brilliant. I, I think, I think he probably summed it up there. I think he went completely under the radar, and I didn't, I probably, I didn't appreciate, I, I appreciated him as, at the time because he's a fantastic footballer. Um, and he was the one that would get, he would feed the attacking players. So if you didn't have someone in there that was as good as him on the ball, then you, you Crofties, Hulans, Lappins, Holtz, Morris and myself, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be as effective. And I didn't, I, I realised at the time, but I didn't realise until I went to Bournemouth and played as a sitting midfielder, how important that sitting midfielder is, because you have to feed everyone else ahead of you. Um, and he had everything. He had the short pass, he had the vision, he had the long pass. Um, you know, so I, I, and I remember he got, I think he came second for player of the season, obviously behind Holty, who was always going to win it because of his goals. But I think Foxy came second and a few people were a bit surprised, but I, I wasn't surprised at all because I just felt he was such an integral part of the team. And without someone like him in there, the, the, the rest of the team wouldn't function. 
Mm, yeah, no, I, I I can completely agree with that. And I've noticed here, Andrew, you've you've been extremely humble here. Whenever we've asked someone for their best Norwich City eleven over, over these podcasts, they've always featured themselves. But I've noticed <laughs> that you've not put yourself in. So my question to you is, if you had to get yourself in this starting eleven, who would you be dropping to get Andrew Sermon in there? Ooh, don't I? Oh. God, I don't know what you want to say. It can't, can't be put well in and put them out, but um, I, I don't. The only the only person I'd want to be is Foxy because I'd want to play in that position. Okay, I wouldn't. Fine. I wouldn't say that I'd drop him out. I would just say that's the position I'd probably want to play, even though I didn't really play there when I was at Norwich. But um, yeah. but yeah, that would be the position I'd want to play. Although I played mainly in Laps's position, but I put Laps. I mean, I put Laps in as well. I mean, again, you know, when you talk about great lads great left foot um yeah and again i probably i probably missed him out with holty and, and obviously um russ as well just uh, you talk about angry scotsman he, he you know he wasn't he, he was you know it's not disrespectfully but he he wouldn't he wouldn't stand for any sort of like drops in levels and you know and but he was he just a bad. great lad he was there when i joined um got really well with him i still speak to him every now and then as well um just a, just a all-around great lad and a, and a great footballer so and he and he, you know, he played. I think he played left back. He played left wing, right wing a couple of times. Um, yeah. But yeah, he was he was he was brilliant. Um, and and again, he's a club legend. Like like ads behind him, you know, uh, yeah. Simon Lappin, King of Spain. I mean, it says it all, doesn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> By the way, if you keep in touch with Laps, and um, what about him becoming? He's now learning to become a pilot. Like, how crazy is that? Yeah, he's God help us all. I'm never going to fight with him on charge, but um, <laughs> I, I can imagine him coming over the intercom on a PA flight, absolutely tearing tearing into someone. But <laughs> but no, he, he's been doing it for a little while actually. I, I know he's been doing his, his pilot's license. I don't know how far he's got with it at the moment, but he's um yeah, yeah he's been persistent with that. So I, I don't know how far off he is, but yeah, I mean, I'm just like, waiting for him to qualify so I can get some free flights on uh, wherever <laughs> Scottish Airways or wherever he's flying. So. Um, <laughs> I must admit, I'm, I'm not so sure about the King of Spain fl flying me to my next uh, my next location. I, I have to say, no, okay. uh, we, we we are relatively short times. So we don't need to talk about about Wesley. Obviously, he's ridiculous, and and, and Holty, that that's an obvious one. You know, Crofts is obviously a workhorse. I take it that's why you put him in. But again, another name that that, that doesn't often get put into their their elevens is Steve Morrison. How, why is he featured for you, Andrew? Um, I just think he was. I know he wasn't the promotion team, but he. I think he gave us a different dimension when he joined um, in the Premier League. And again, people probably might not notice it, but um, he just he, he he just ran in behind and he stretched the line. And I think and he was so effective at that. You know, he scored decent decent goals, but and he was good in the air. But he just gave us that dimension where we could go in behind. It wasn't all about playing short passes and trying to break. We could just stick it in behind for him, and he'd run. Um, and he was an important part of us staying up that season. Um, so I think I think I have to put him in. Uh, I know you touched on Crofty. I've got to say a word about Crofty. Crofty, one of the nicest guys I think I've ever ever met. Uh, really? as well. So great, honest, like professional, good footballer. You know, just again. But if I look at this whole team, you had all these these people that brought something to the party. There was no, we weren't carrying anyone. There was no one sort of like, well. He doesn't really run, so we're going to have to sort of do his run for him. But when we get in the ball, he might do something. Even Wes, he was that maverick, but he he worked hard. Yeah. You know, he didn't just 
you know, he didn't sort of sack off the sort of run in and all that, whatever. He just he would he would put a shift in for the team. And I think Lambert obviously Paul Lambert obviously came in and rejuvenated his career because I think he was a little bit on the way out before he joined. So yeah, I mean he's incredible, incredible um eleven there. He and, and, and Wesley is still ripped to shreds, by the way. Like he's he's still running, like big time yeah. running. But you've got to say that he's still playing at Cambridge, isn't he? I think so he's um yeah, absolutely loving yeah. it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, he, he has been just uh, probably the best player of all time, in, in my opinion, in my lifetime, anyway. Um, yeah, you're on the spot here with a, with a couple of questions, and um, perhaps quick fire. Um, which player at Norwich did you have the best connection with, the best friendship, the best relationship? Like, which player can you go now and go, like, yeah, he was he was he was my boy? Uh, I'd probably say, I'd probably say laps. Or Foxy, probably. Um, yeah. I'd probably say. Yeah, I think those two I probably got on best with um, in, a, yeah, in a dressing room. But I got on well with all of them, to be honest. But yeah, probably had a bit more of a connection with them, yeah. Did you, did, who, which one did you room with? Who did I room with, actually? I think we might have rooms on our own. I oh. Foxy. I might have room with Foxy. I can't remember. Okay. I can't Any remember our room with. Not that I can remember, to be fair. But uh, no, I can't. Imagine. Yeah, I can't remember any. <laughs> Can't imagine Foxy's a snorer. Um, obviously, Andrew, there's thousands of Norwich City fans watching and listening to this now all, all over the world. Do you have a message for them at all? Well, just just a massive thank you for the time that I was at the club, to be honest. Um, I know you alluded to it before, you know, do you think you're undervalued or anything like that? I never got the impression when I was playing, you know, there might be fans out there going, oh, he was rubbish, but... But no, I um, <laughs> but I just want to thank yeah, I just want to thank everyone for their support because I mean that that time of my life, that time of my career, the time of our, my family's life was just absolutely massive. We know we still got friends from Norwich as well. Um, the Cooks who are close to we went to to Sophie Cook's wedding actually um about a couple of months ago. So it was just an amazing time to be part of the club and and obviously like I say, I mean I always. One of my favourite memories when we got promoted is when the whole square was just full. And when we visited Norwich since, we've walked through the square. Thought, you know, I've told my kids that they were too young at the time, but just sort of say this whole thing was full. You know, we we were getting presented with a trophy or the, you know, up there. And it's just incredible memories, incredible place, incredible fans, incredible club. It's just amazing, amazing time of my life. Andrew, thank you so much for uh, your, your honesty, your transparency, your integrity, and thanks so much for your, your time and, and sharing your Norwich City story with us today. I really, really appreciate it. No, thank you. Thanks for having me on. And thank you so much to everyone that's watching and listening. If you've enjoyed this conversation with the mighty Andrew Sermon, the most handsome midfielder we've ever had, <laughs> do let us know. We're all over social media at Talk Norwich City. If you're listening on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, give us that five-star rating. Don't you dare give us four. Let us know, as you say, what you thought about this episode. And finally, there's only one thing left to say, Andrew. Can you remember the Norwich City chant? I know the tune, but I can't remember the words. Um, the scrummage. Oh, yes, but yeah, I remember the remember the rest. <laughs> Do you know what? Every time I've said that, someone either doesn't know they've gone with on the ball city, but they've never said have a little scrimmage. So, Andrew, for that alone, <laughs> I appreciate your time. Thanks so very much, folks, and I'll see you guys soon. Cheers.